I do want to wish all of our mothers uh, here this morning a very happy Mother's Day. We are so happy for you, and we rejoice in the calling that the Lord has given to you. Now, the Lord, of course, does not call everyone to be married, and not everyone whom he calls to be married is then called to bear children. But this is the day uh, that our nation has established as a day for honoring mothers, and Scripture does tell us to give honor to whom honor is due. And I think it certainly is due to Christian mothers. So today uh, gives all of us the opportunity of elevating the role of a mother, and also receiving some instruction from the Word of God about this whole matter of motherhood. I I think I mentioned last week that I have not done a Mother's Day message for some time, Uh, but I have been thinking about the fact that Christians today do need some basic encouragement uh, when it comes to family relationships. Uh, Of course, marriage has been degraded and ridiculed and devalued for some time. Uh, Fatherhood and motherhood have also been under severe attack, as has the role of children in a household. And then, surprisingly, the most fundamental relationship of all, uh, which is the unalterable nature of one's divinely determined gender is even under attack and is attacking the foundations of a family. Who would have thought that could even be possible uh, just 10 years earlier? So in today's social climate, I think we do need to be encouraged and comforted from the Word of God when it comes to families. We need to be reminded that marriage is just what Scripture says it is. It is an honorable estate. We need comfort and instruction about the different and good roles of husbands and wives, along with the immense uh, blessing and responsibility of having and rearing children for the Lord. Uh, We need to honor the obedience to parents that is required from children and the respectful and affectionate relationship of siblings to one another. Happy is the home where the children are being raised to love one another and to respect their parents. And how vital is the family unit in the life of the church and then in the course of Christ around the world. These are all important considerations when it comes to the family. But on this particular day, there is little that needs attention more than this matter of marriage and motherhood, because that institution, as I mentioned, is under an aggressive and relentless societal assault, and it has been for several generations. All over this country today, girls are being raised to think very little of their natural role in the human race as wives and mothers. They are raised to want to rival and equal, and finally exceed the role that is given to them, uh, to men, uh, by God. They are pressured to delay marriage and motherhood until they succeed in establishing a lucrative career for themselves. If they conceive, they are legally free to abort 
babies who are inconvenient, uh, who are the wrong sex, who are not physically or mentally perfect. Abortion is legal up to 24 weeks in some states, which is well into the second trimester. And if they do agree to keep their children, then they intentionally limit the number of them. The average number of children per family in Australia is 1.7. Still looking for the 0.7 child, but that's the average. Of course, as soon as they can resume their career, typically when parental leave expires, they hand their children over to daycare facilities. And society has brainwashed to accept that our children will actually be better trained and have accelerated opportunities of being, uh, by their being uh, daily released into the hands of professional childcare workers. That's not true. Of course, daycare is sometimes necessary for a family to utilize, depending on the circumstances. I understand that, and praise God that there are Christian daycare centers. But God gives every child, and in particular every Christian child, the best child care workers that he has determined that it will have, a mother and a father. And ladies, no one can excel your own mothering instinct with your children. By the age of four or five, our society then feeds its children into the jaws of this gigantic, God-refusing, Bible-dismissing system that indoctrinates them with the idea that Evil is good, and most of what God calls good is evil. Parents are programmed to accept without protest that they are morally obligated to allow their children to choose their own gender or any confusion of it, and then they are required to celebrate it as their child's choice. It has become quite fashionable in some circles to raise a child as gender-neutral, whatever that means. Of course, they must show profound respect for their children's right to privacy. And above all, they must not press their religious faith upon their children or expect them to share and believe in their parents' own moral values. You know, when I wrote this introduction, there was really only one word that I could find that describes what is going on in our society today and that has infiltrated our families through media, especially aimed at children, and through social media and the educational system and peer pressure and political laws and requirements. There's one word that I could come up with that sums it all up. Friends, it is demonic. It is demonic. In our culture that is too timid to confront evil and too ashamed to call out what may offend, you need to embrace the Scripture's teaching that in the latter times the world will be filled with doctrines of demons. And What could be more of an assault and an erosion of the whole foundation of the human race than these ideas which percolate down into the thinking and the responses of even the Lord's people. 
We live in a situation today in which we drink in the world's philosophy from every direction, and there are times when you can hardly disconnect from it. It's in the interviews and views on the morning shows. It's in the conversations at work. It's in the educational system that twists our children's minds for hours a day. It's in the streaming shows from dozens of sources and on YouTube clips and blogs built by minds that are anti-God and worse. It's in 100,000 websites located in what we call the cloud. And I want to remind you of that evil personality who is known as the prince of the power of the air. He rules in this atmosphere. And Scripture says that as such, He is energizing the children of disobedience. And so, little by little, even many Christians seem horrifyingly unaware of the degree to which their thinking is being shaped by a diabolical, demonic scheme. So with that in mind, I want to draw from Scripture this morning to speak on the call to motherhood. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the most foundational passage of all in the first chapter of the first book of our Bible, Genesis 1. I want to read from verses 26 to 28, which is the sixth day of the creative week. It says there, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Ladies, verse 27 refers to God making both male and female, in His own image. In His own likeness. That's point one of my outline. Now, it's not difficult to figure out the ways in which this is the case. All you have to do really is contrast and compare. Contrast yourself with all the other living creatures on this earth. What In what ways are you, as a woman, unlike them? This is exactly the exercise that God put Adam through when he directed him to name all of the animals. Scripture says that when he did so, it became obvious that there was nothing in that group that was suitable for him. Nothing among all of the animal creation was similar to the first man. So in what sense are we, as men and women, made in the image of God? Well, contrast us to all of the other living creatures, and you can begin to see some of those components. Now move the other way and compare yourself with the animal kingdom when it comes to the characteristics of God. 
among the animal creation, which ones have the character traits of God like you do? In looking at those dissimilarities and similarities, we can find in ourselves the senses in which we are made in the image and the likeness of God, and it's certainly not external or bodily. It's internal, and it has to do with our spirits. So what a wonderful thing when you recognize that image of God in yourself, and you find that every deep thought concerning morality and ethics and reasoning and all those abstract ideas about eternity and heaven and the ability to attain some measure of God's character, His love, His mercy, His goodness, His grace, and so on. All of that is what molds us into the image of God. Ecclesiastes puts it this way when it says that God has placed eternity in my heart. This is a great an unalterable aspect of God's image that is found in every human being, no matter how low their position in life or how poor and uneducated they may be. The lowest, the most impoverished, the most uneducated of humans is far beyond the greatest and strongest and most trained of animals by human hand because men and women are made in the image of God. And ladies, that is your single and greatest eternal relationship. It is to the God who made you after His own likeness. So first of all, I want to encourage you throughout the course of your life to find your highest fulfillment in that. That which enables you to fellowship with God in Christ. Don't attempt to find your greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in marriage, regardless of how happy it is. Nor should you find it in your children, no matter how honoring or godly they may prove to be. All of these things are earthly, but your relationship with God will never end, and it is His priority in your life that you be shaped by every single event and influence in your life in order to become more like Jesus Christ. So make that your greatest joy, to be made in His image. Second thing I would like to call your attention in this passage concerning your call to motherhood is also in verse 27, where we are told that when God created mankind, He made it both male and male. And female. You know, when I started preaching in the 1980s, it never would have occurred to me that this point would have to be made. But there was a push from educational and political institutions to no longer refer to motherhood as female, but to replace the term mother with the term birthing person. Because being a woman is no longer a biological reality in their minds. In fact, I read just this past week that the Queensland Minister for Women doesn't even define a woman as an adult human female anymore, which is absolutely ridiculous. Well, mothers, by the grace of God and His eternal appointment, you were 
constituted as a female. This is not a genetic accident. This is divine determination. And it will be your great blessing to accept this and rest in it as a simple, uncomplicated truth. I mean, there's no complication about this at all. Now, there may be feelings or passions that are contrary to one's gender. That can be true for both female and male. But isn't it a blessing that God, in His Word, has explained the source of those contrary feelings or those things that run against our God-given gender? The Bible says that just as there is a tendency in all human beings to lie and to covet, to dishonor your parents, to harm other people, to run away from God, just as those are also our natural bent. So there may be feelings and passions in some individuals against the gender that God has chosen for them. Feelings that appear to be natural to them, and yet the Bible explains the source of those passions as coming from our fallen nature. So your great safety and God's strength for you to resist those fallen tendencies will come if you simply refuse all contrary thought and just run and take refuge in the simplicity and the security of God's Word, letting the Lord give you the necessary victory. You know, one of the greatest, most important verses in the Bible, I think, for Christians to draw from today as they live in this degenerate and deformed society is 1 Corinthians 10.5, which tells us to cast down arguments. NASV translates that as speculations. Cast them down. Instantly refuse them. Reject them. Don't even entertain them as the truth. Don't read books or listen to the sob stories that the media is constantly parading before us about transgender persecution. Don't find videos on YouTube or give yourself in any way to be influenced by this. But instead, flee in security to the simplicity of the Word of God. Cast down the arguments, it says, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And then what does it say? Take, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Capture your thoughts and your spirit. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ in all of these things and wait for the blessing of God on your life. You as a mother, you've been made in the image of God and you've been made a female. And then thirdly, In most cases throughout Scripture and in history and in the church today, women are made to be a helper to a Christian man. Now, of course, there are some wonderful deviations from that plan, and throughout the course of history, both single men and single women have served the Lord in ways that would have been very difficult if they had been married, which has been the general design for Christian men and women. But if you are a mother today, 
or if you're married and do not yet have children, you were made to be a helper to a Christian man. Now, ladies, that is a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you this morning to really embrace that honorable condition and not in any way to despise it. There's been a great controversy today which has taken over many churches in many denominations concerning the role of a woman in local church ministry. There's been this subtle tendency, even in their titles, to move away from what the Scripture actually says about the role of a Christian woman and wife. The two great positions today are referred to by the terms, you may have heard these before, egalitarianism and complementarianism. The word egalitarian, of course, refers to being equals. Australia prides itself on having an egalitarian society, a society of equals. But the Christian viewpoint has become such that men and women are now considered entirely equal in every respect, including in their roles both in marriage and in the church. In other words, no position that a man can have, no authority that he can exercise in a local church, none of that should be for men only. Women are also entitled to those same positions and the same authority. And so on many church websites that I've seen, I've seen a lot, they would not refer to Pastor Mike as the senior pastor, but it's pastors Mike and April, both being the senior co-equal pastors. Both are given that position. Both are given that same authority. Both teach and shepherd the congregation equally. And then, of course, the other position is called complementarianism. And this is a word that refers to things completing each other. Now, the Scripture doesn't actually use those words. And I want you to know I do understand the strength and the use of each term. And I do know that uh, society has certainly uh, twisted out of shape uh, the idea of men and women and their roles. But over time, you know, Christians can get off-center in this debate by throwing these terms around and looking at extremes when the Scripture is clear that the woman was made for the man. She was made to complete him. It's exactly what Genesis 2 records. It's confirmed for all time in, in 1 Corinthians 11 when the Apostle Paul writes, man was not created for woman, but woman for the man. Now ladies, I really want to encourage you again to just accept the simplicity of God's Word on this point. You can get so easily confused and begin to rationalize yourself into a spirit of discontent and disharmony and the loss of fulfillment in the blessedness of the role that God has given to you. I mean, there's no question that if the Lord gives you a godly husband, he's going to meet your needs. This is his assignment from God. His role is to provide and protect and honor and rear children with you. But your role is the subordinate role. 
And it gives you the opportunity to grow in grace and develop certain perfections in Christ that are just like the Son of God's when He came and took flesh. You know, the Bible says that He did not regard His equality with God something to be grasped. But it says that He emptied Himself and He took on Himself the form of a servant. That is what God is calling every wife to do. So in exercising and embracing that role, you will find the development of the humility that was in Christ Himself when He did this. It's the sacrifice of yourself rather than the pursuit of achievement, the fulfillment of yourself through a career or even through your husband or through your children. Now this is a greater blessing than you realize, you know. It's because of these roles that men are subject to many temptations that you are not. Men become proud, uh, assertive, self-confident, overbearing, even cocky or abusive because they are given the dominant role. They misuse their role. So what a wonderful thing when the Lord puts any of us into low positions within a church or underneath an employer, or even throughout history as citizens of an oppressive state, sometimes for women in a very disappointing marriage. How God builds a scaffolding around our lives through these things and chips away at anything that isn't like Christ in order to develop in us a meekness and a gentleness and a complete submission to the will of God that is precious in His sight in any of His people, but especially in a wife and a mother. And then fourthly, verse 28 of this passage tells us that the very first command which the Lord gave to the first man and woman had to do with this idea of bearing children. I love the fact that Pines brought this out. Be fruitful and multiply. If you are a mother today, have you fully accepted that you were commanded by God to bear children? Now, that's if you're married. And I can say that confidently because the book of Hebrews says this, marriage is honorable to all and the bed undefiled. And we often leave off the last part of that verse, but it says this, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So if you are married... Men and women are commanded to have children. This command was given before the flood. But if you turn to Genesis 9, even after the flood, when Noah and his family were the only human beings that survived, God directed them in verse 7 to be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. And of course, ever since then, this has been going on in the human race. In other words, Here is one of the great blessings from God that in spite of the almost social stigma that is given to families with many children or to women who devote themselves to the supreme calling of being a wife and a mother from the beginning, in spite of all of that, it is actually instinctive within women to bear children. And this has been true throughout all of history around the world. It is divinely programmed 
into the DNA of a woman. And all society is doing is suppressing that instinct through re-education and peer pressure and ridicule. But just stop and think about it for a moment. In spite of the world's pressure, in spite of the pain and labor of childbearing, and the self-sacrifice involved in caring for children, and sometimes the heartbreaking disappointments, it still does not dissuade women. For all of these millennia, around the world today, women are still not only prepared to have children, but they want to have children. Think of the fascination that little girls have with babies. You know, whenever there's a new baby born in this church, you never see the boys crowding around wanting to hold it. It doesn't work that way. But if there's a baby within 50 meters of a girl, the antenna shoots up. And off they go. They've got to touch the baby. They've got to look at the baby. They've got to play with the baby. That's God. He is the one who has placed this within them. That will never be altered. Bearing children is a wife's divine appointment, and he has given women an instinct to desire that. But in addition to that, if you are a Christian wife, it's not only an instinct, it really is a divine calling. So as a Christian woman, you, you don't just migrate into motherhood by some divine reflex, but you come to see it through the eyes of God. And you realize because of what Scripture says that God has a purpose for every human being, including mothers. Now that, in itself, I think, is a tremendous assurance for all of us. I mean, the Word of God says that from before the foundation of the world, God knew us by name. He chose us in Christ. He literally prepared beforehand the works that we would do in serving Jesus Christ. And it is a great joy when you come to know your calling from God and the nature of the works that He has prepared for you from before the world began, and then to embrace it and magnify it and find all of God's pleasure in doing it. And if you are a Christian wife, it is Scripture that teaches you and your husband that you are not your own. Your body is not your own. We are bought with a price. We may not live to ourselves We live for Jesus Christ. And as a wife, God has given you this instinct to want to have children. And then He has given you a command in Genesis to follow His purpose for you to bear children. Those commands in Genesis have never been repealed. They stand to this day. And they are confirmed and restated in various ways in Scripture. In fact, when you come to the last book of the Old Testament, you read Malachi 2, and you discover that the Lord made male and female, and and it says He brings them together in marriage as one, and Scripture says the reason for that is, is because He's seeking a godly offspring. And in one of His last letters, 1 Timothy 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry and bear children. This is God's great designed for you. Now don't let anything dissuade you from that. As our Lord said, you have to fall like a corn of wheat into the ground and die. If you attempt to save your life by not having children, then you're going to lose it. 
If you lose your life for Christ's sake in order to raise a godly offspring, you will find it. Now, if God, in His wise providence and calling on your life, does not see fit to give you children, then let me encourage you to be like the Apostle Paul. I've always found great comfort in a particular text from Paul, almost from the beginning of my own ministry, life, and calling, when the Apostle is teaching in the book of Romans and He says that he once felt so strongly about wanting to reach his own people, the Jewish people. That was his heart. But when he attempted to do this, the Lord appeared to him in the temple in Jerusalem, and he began to direct him to the Gentiles. And Paul pleaded with God, you know, but Lord, these people know I used to persecute the church. And he's really arguing with the Lord about his calling to go to those people. And the Lord has to say to him, look, Paul, just get up and go. And in time, he was able to write in Romans 11, you know what? I am an apostle to the Gentiles. It was against his initial desire. And then he makes this this statement. He says, and I magnify my calling. I magnify it. Whatever our calling is, men and women, yield yourself to the Lord. Magnify your calling as a man, as a woman in God's economy. Take hold of it. Find wealth in it. The expansiveness, the individuality, the distinctiveness of what God has called you to do. That's true for single women and married women to whom the Lord has not given children. Each of you in that estate is really the Lord's maidservant. And you will find a soul-deep satisfaction, no matter what your estate as a woman, in taking yourself to yourself those words that Mary uttered when she said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to thy word. Let that be a blessing to you. And someday, having received and embraced the Lord's calling for your life, whatever it is, and knowing that it was His pleasure for you, you will surely hear his commendation of well done. But if you are married, the Scripture indicates that it is the pleasure of the Lord for you to have children, and if possible, for you to have many children. There are numerous occasions when people ask how many children I have. Conversations, getting to know them. And when I say five, they always gasp in surprise. Maybe I look so young. I don't know. But I always enjoy giving them the follow-up comment. You know, my brother has 10. And uh, I, I bought him a hat. It has K-12 on the side. I said, I don't have any more kids. I can't, I can't put any more in there. But it may surprise you to learn that having many children is actually scriptural. It's one of the foremost blessings given to Abraham. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. Uh, This reminded him every day of God's blessing in his life. In Genesis 17, 5 and 6, God said to him, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. One of the divine blessings on the children of Israel in Psalm 105.24 stated in these words that he increased his people greatly. 
It's one of the blessings God promised His people for their obedience in Leviticus 26.9. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you. It's one of the blessings for a man whose house is built by the Lord. This was also mentioned this morning. Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. This is one of the blessings on millennial Israel. In Isaiah 26.15, which says, You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation, and you are glorified. This is one of the blessings of the Lord's own parents. We are told in Matthew 14, that our Lord was the oldest of five brothers. Imagine that. Uh, The names of the other four are in Matthew 13, but then we're also told that he had sisters. He had at least two, which means there were at least seven children living in that household. That is a fairly large family by anybody's standards. And this was the blessing of the Lord on Joseph and Mary. Now, of course, we don't know Uh, or we don't have anything in Scripture to indicate that Joseph was a man of great means. Joseph was a tradie. He was a chippy. And tradies are not the white-collar working class they are today. Uh, But my point is that you don't need to be overly concerned about not having enough in order to raise a large family. Uh, Couples often only have one child because they want to give them the best and they want to send them to the best schools. They don't want to provide the best toys and all the technology. And our society is so affluent that we almost feel as if something is wrong if we can't do that and we have to live very simply. But nothing is wrong. All you need is the Lord's provision and he promised us that. One of the old Puritans who was ejected from his pulpit in uh, 1662 had to face the reality of losing his livelihood. Now, in those days, many men in their families were reduced to abject poverty. I mean, living on the streets with large families. So this poor man was getting counsel from his friends, and someone tried to reason with him. I mean, you know, come on, just join the state church. What's the big deal? And then he said this, well, you have a lot of children. Think of the children. You got as many children as Jacob. And he instantly replied, yes, and I have Jacob's God to take care of them. That's true for every mom and dad. Who, out of dedication to the Lord, and by submitting themselves to Him when it comes to their children, determine that they will walk with the Lord and experience His promises. Now, as a Christian couple, you can suggest many reasons not to have many children, or maybe not even to have any. Will our children become Christians? Uh, I'm afraid that they're going to be rebels. I'll, you know, raise a rebel. I have important things to do. I've got a career to pursue. I've got personal goals to achieve. I've got a bucket list I've got to fulfill. We don't have space in our tiny apartment. You can suggest many things. But again, I mean, just go back to the simplicity of Scripture. And there is a tremendous security just in accepting what your Bible says at face value. You know, you'll find that you can rationalize away with a clear conscience almost anything, even as a believer. If you will think about it long enough, 
If you will study on it long enough, if you argue with the plain teaching of Scripture, you can pretty much dismiss almost anything and make yourself an exception to the rule. But friends, you don't want to live like that as a Christian your whole life. You want to be a person instead who responds like Samuel did, Hear my Lord, speak to me. Your servant hears. And the Lord Jesus promised that a person who does that is building his house on a rock. And he said, you know, that house, that one ain't going to fall. Now, what all of that means entirely, we'll have to wait for eternity to get a full understanding, but that's the position you want to be in as a Christian mother. Study the Word of God. Block out all the competing voices in the world and open up yourself to the literal, plain teaching of the Word of God. Entrust yourself to it and wait for eternity. came across something that Martin Luther wrote about being a father. I want to change it just a little bit in order to turn it into being a mother. Luther said that there's a message that the world whispers in our ear. He writes this, Now, observe that there is a clever harlot, our natural reason, that takes a look at married life and turns up our nose and says, Alas, must I rock that baby? and wash its nappies, and make its bed, and smell its stench, and stay up at night with it, and take care when it cries, and heal its rashes and its sores? And then Luther asks this, what then does the Christian faith say to that? Well, it opens its eyes and looks upon all of these insignificant, distasteful, and despised duties in the Spirit and is aware that they are all adorned with divine approval, as with the costliest jewels. And it says, O God, because I am certain that you have created me as a woman, and have out of my body begotten this child, I also know for a certainty that it meets with your perfect pleasure. And I confess to you that I am not worthy to rock this little baby, or to wash its nappies, and to be entrusted with the care of it. How is it that I, without any merit, have come to this distinction of being certain that I am serving your creature and your most precious will? Oh, how gladly I would do so, even though the duties would be more insignificant and despised. Neither frost nor heat, neither drudgery nor labor, nor distress would dissuade me. I am certain that it is thus pleasing in your sight. And God, with all of His angels and His creatures, is smiling. Not because you are washing nappies, but because you are doing so with Christian faith. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for the blessedness of being a mother. What an honorable the wonderful position it is to be in. And Father, help us to accept the plain teaching of your word regarding motherhood and the role of men and women. Help, help the men in this congregation to fulfill their role, to be honoring to their wives and support their families and love their children 
and raise a godly generation. We thank you for our families this morning. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. value. I think it's very sad uh, these days that the world is losing its grasp on basic truths, but the Bible does say that Jesus is enough. So what we'll do is we're all going to stand. I'll call the ladies up to the stage again, and we'll sing ancient words. Yeah. 